You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's difficult to navigate choppy waters during an investigation of alleged sexual assault, and it's important to let the information play out and prioritize what really matters at times like this. That being said, sponsors are speaking regarding Deshaun Watson, which makes it painfully obvious that one organization is remaining silent, the NFL. The question is why? It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. we got some great guests coming up for you tonight on the Goodyear Hotline. But we start with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the Straight Talk revolves around Deshaun Watson. Now, I think it's important to be clear anytime we have a Deshaun Watson conversation right now. I will say it again. I've been saying it, and I will say it loudly. We will have plenty of time to dissect so much of what this means when we get all of the information. For once, I think that many in the media are actually doing a really good job when it comes to how we cover Deshaun Watson in the sense that we are sort of sitting back and letting the process play out. As Sarah has said on this show smartly in the past, and I'll continue to echo the sentiment that the only thing we can do right now is give everybody the benefit of the doubt, as difficult as that may be. Give all of the uh, alleged victims benefit of the doubt and give Deshaun Watson benefit of the doubt. Sit back and say, hey, let this play out. That being said, Deshaun Watson doesn't work for me. He doesn't work for you. He doesn't represent me. He doesn't represent ESPN. Deshaun Watson does represent the Houston Texans. He does represent the NFL. And he does represent several brands. And that's where this gets interesting. That's why this is a new development in all of this, because Nike has suspended its endorsement deal with Deshaun Watson. Now, that's important. Suspended, not terminated, suspended. ESPN's been told that Beats by Dre is ending its sponsorship of Watson amidst this investigation. On top of that, Houston-based Reliant Energy said in a statement that its relationship with Watson was scheduled to end this spring, and the company has, quote, no plans for future engagements or contracts with them. And supermarket chain HEB said in a statement, quote, there are no plans for future engagement after its deal expired after the 2020 season. These are four sponsors that have looked around the landscape and said, hey, we're going to terminate, we're not going to renew, or we're going to sp- suspend. They're very different options, each one. But suspend is an important point from Nike because it's an essential option that the NFL has. We've said it before. The exempt list exists for a reason. What is the exempt list? The exempt exempt list is how the NFL can tell somebody, basically, you can't come to work. You're not going to be part of the team. You won't be part of the culture happening in Houston. You're going to sit at home, but you will get paid. And you're going to do that while we figure this out, while we have our own investigation. That's the point and purpose of the exempt list. Has the NFL put uh, Deshaun on that list? No. In fact, all they've done is release this statement. And this is to Pro Football Talk, and this is from NFL Vice President of Communications Brian McCarthy. He said, quote, The allegations are deeply disturbing, and we take these issues very seriously. Immediately following news of the first allegation last month, and, has, and as has been reported, we initiated an investigation under the NFL's personal conduct policy. We're continuing to monitor the situation. All right, so that's all the NFL has told us. But they have something right there. Right there available for him. Now, I'm not dumb. I understand, contrary to popular belief in what social media thinks, I understand that by putting him on the exempt list, the NFL is involving themselves in the conversation. What they're doing right now is they are laying silently on the sideline and letting everybody else figure everything out. But that's not easy to do, especially in a couple of weeks with the draft coming. 
every time the Houston Texans are on the clock, there will be a real question, an uncomfortable moment around what I would argue is the second biggest moment in the NFL calendar of the entire year behind only the Super Bowl. There will be an awkward moment every single time the Houston Texans come up for conversation. Because to be real, none of us know how to handle this. None of us know how we should be analyzing whatever matters for the football side of it because the football side of it doesn't matter compared to the life side of it. But in the meantime, what are the Texans going to do? I mean, they've signed to Rod Taylor. But realistically, when we get into draft conversation, what is the status of Deshaun Watson is going to be a real conversation that has to happen and has no answers. The NFL speaks before the Super Bowl. Roger Goodell gets up on the podium and updates everybody before the Super Bowl. Why? Because he wants to eliminate some of these questions and do his best to stop some of those conversations before their biggest event of the year. Will the NFL do the same thing here? Now, I'm not the only person that believes that there's an interesting moment here for the NFL to be completely silent. This is what Stephen A. Smith had to say on First Take. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Lady Jason Fitz flying solo tonight, giving you a straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. Now, I want to go back to the collective bargaining agreement. You guys have figured out, if you've listened to me at all over the last couple of years, that this is a document or an understanding that I look at a lot, right? Because it says something about what's important to the players, and it says something about what's important to the league. It also says something about what everybody fights for. In the most recent collective bargaining agreement, most of us thought that at some point there would be some change to the player conduct policy, some change that prevents Roger Goodell from having essentially all of the power, and that did not happen. Neutral arbitration was approved, but it's for initial discipline only. Goodell will remain his appeal power, uh, so he will still be the judge and executioner. So he may not be the jury, but he is the judge and executioner on everything that moves forward. That means that Roger Goodell can still, in most cases, do essentially whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, right? So if you're Roger Goodell and you're looking at a situation that is at the very least tricky, if you're looking at a situation where you're saying, I don't want to penalize a player until we have all the information, well, guess what? You don't have to. That's what the exempt list exists for. This is a, a risk-free time because they are in the middle of the offseason to separate him from the Texans. But it's also a time where the league has to give us some indication, I would think, of what the process is. Because if they don't, what they're essentially doing is tying everybody's hands and figuring out what's next. Now, there's no quick resolution to this. For anybody that wants to, to yell and scream about what, to, what should happen to Deshaun, I've said many times, we'll have plenty of time to do that after we get all the information. The problem is we may not get all that information for months upon months. So at some point, the NFL is going to have to act. And how weird will it feel? How strange will it feel if the NFL decides to make this exempt move, but they do it closer to training camp because that's when it's more important with no new information out? It'll raise questions of why they haven't done these things sooner. Maybe the NFL doesn't care about what anybody thinks. That's what their past actions have shown. Maybe the NFL shouldn't care about what anybody thinks because realistically, no matter what they do, we watch, we support, and they make money. But realistically, at some point, as sponsors continue to become involved in this, this situation, at some point, the NFL will have no choice but to do something. Spain and Fitz on ESPN. Tonight, KD is back, but I'm not buying anything from the Nets. I'm going to tell you why next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I feel like I just said this, but I'm going to say it again. It's Masters time. It's a weird, weird, weird feeling coming so soon after what we saw in the fall 
but now it's back to where we're used to having it, and I want to get some expertise on it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. And we're going to go straight over to the Goodyear hotline to one of my favorite human beings in the entire world and also one of the best people we have here, ESPN's Marty Smith. You can listen to Marty and McGee Saturday morning, 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. Marty, uh, love you, man. So happy you're on the show. Thanks for coming on. Uh, give me a little bit of a sense of what the challenge is here for everybody with such a quick turnaround. After a huge gap in Masters between 2019 and 2020, now it's just a 144-day gap. So what what challenge does that present to the golfers? First of all, hi. Uh, ah. appreciate you having me, brother. Great to chat with you. Um, for Augusta National, obviously it's a quick turnaround. I mean, they – they pride themselves on spending an entire year to create the most meticulous sporting week we know of that exists. And obviously five months ago, uh, we were just here the record of 20 under. And so they've been thrashing. There's no question. They've been working really hard and the course is, the course is firm and it is fast. It is extremely different playing conditions for the competitors than they experienced here in the fall. And if it doesn't rain, which there is some rain in the forecast the next couple of days, we'll see what happens. Uh, if it doesn't rain, man, I talked to Xander Shoffley yesterday, and my gracious was he honest. He said to me, man, if it doesn't rain, he said some of the best golf golfers in the world are going to be looking like fools out here. <laughs> and he said, if you hit it in the wrong spot, play for bogey. And wow. that just tells you. I mean, these I marvel at how great they are. It, it's amazing to me how easy they look, make impossible look on the PGA Tour. And so, here, at, here at the Masters, uh, that is certainly the case. So who does this benefit in your mind then, Marty? I don't know, man. <laughs> I think experience – I mean, I, I say I always think I know, you know, and I base, I base thinking I know on my own expertise. I base it on the players that I talk to, and you know, so, so I think experience is going to play. It plays a major role here, knowing knowing where to hit it, and if you miss it, knowing how to fix it. And you gotta, it's the 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 greens are so fast. And so coming into this thing, you know, you look at the young stars of the game who are playing so well. Of course, as we know, DJ won here in November. Justin Thomas just won the players. Jordan Spieth is back. I mean, dude, I think in January he was ranked 92nd in the world. And you could have got him at 60 to 1. And now I think he's 10 to 1. Wins the Texas Open last weekend. And, and speaking of candor, uh, one thing that is so amazing about Spieth is just how direct he is with his thought processes. And I asked him in the press conference the other day about perspective. I said, like, one thing about Jordan, he has tremendous perspective outside of the arena. He has great life perspective. So I wondered what this drought, this victory drought, more than 1,300 days what perspective that gave him not only as golfer but as man and he didn't hesitate jason he said man it humbled me it humbled me because he was on this horrid pace 
early in his career, drawing comparisons to the greatest of all time. And then he lost it for a while. But he maintained enough self-confidence. And that whole thing you and I hear in football all the time, process over outcome, and made some changes in his team. And and the next thing you know, it's a a remarkable story. But it's going to be fun to see who – it start, who, who starts fast tomorrow um, and is able to maintain it and, and what happens with the weather. Um, there's a lot of variables involved. We're talking to ESPN's Marty Smith on Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. And, you know, you just mentioned the young talent, and I, I forget sometimes how much young, exciting talent there is because I feel like we become so tiger-consumed as a society. What's it going to take for this young talent to sort of get out from the cloud of Tiger Woods? <laughs> uh I don't know, and it's funny that you're asking this question because I did a piece for this week about how damn hard it is to win on the PGA Tour. And going back to Jordan Spieth, he actually said in the piece that Tiger completely skewed what was rational. Tiger's dominance, I mean, dude, if you look at Tiger's first 200 tournaments, he won 54 of them. He won 27% of the first 200 tournaments he played. That's crazy, man. And it completely rewrites what is rational thought out here. You know, you look at guys like, you know, Tony Finn, for example. I I highlighted him in the piece. and I know Tony. Tony's a a really good friend of mine. And so I hate that I highlighted him here. But Tony Finau is unequivocally one of the greatest golfers on this planet. He has one win. And it was five years ago. And you just you, you look at guys like that, where it, Ricky Fowler right now, he's not even here this week. And it's just really difficult to win. And so you, 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 you juxtapose that or you couple that, excuse me, with Tiger's dominance and how easy he made it look. And it's really hard mentally and emotionally on a lot of these guys. And, and Spieth actually says that in the piece that I did. And in order to get out from under Tiger, I, I honestly, Jason, don't think they want to. I think there's so much reverence for him. I mean, I, I go back to my own experience in 2019, standing 10 rows above the 18th green as Tiger was walking up 18 when he was writing a movie, no one has ever thought we'd watch, that he would come back and win Augusta again and, and get that fifth green jacket after a back fusion surgery and everything that went on in his personal life and in the entire the entire story that is Tiger Woods life and here he is walking up 18 to thousands of people chanting his name and it was irreverent in a way that Augusta is never irreverent and then he taps in to win that fifth green jacket throws his arms in the air his son Charlie runs into his arms, and we're instantly all whisked back to 1997 when he ran into his own father's arms. And it was this stunning family moment. And the crowd is bedlam. And then you watch he and Charlie walk through the bedlam to the clubhouse, and all of the young stars in the game, Finau, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, on and on, Xander, they're all standing there waiting on him to embrace him 
and be immersed in that moment where their feet are because that's the dude that inspired them to play the game in the first place. And after he was in that car wreck a month ago, um, it really told me uh, how much these guys genuinely care about Tiger as a man. Justin and Rory specifically are really close with him. And and so I, I don't know that they want to emerge from his shadow. I think they want to champion what he did for golf because they're making a lot of money because of his influence. And they just want to build their own resume and forge their own path that was inspired by his path, if that makes sense. Yeah, Marty, your analogy is eye-opening. It makes me think, and you and I both love this a lot, makes me think a lot about country music, like the legends. Uh, you're, you're never trying to eclipse mm-hmm. the legends. You're embracing the legends because they're why you did what you did. Marty, you are amazing, my friend. Enjoy the Masters experience. Thanks for the expertise, and we really appreciate it. Uh, stay safe over there, and uh, enjoy enjoy the sandwiches. You, you, get them, you get them soon. Uh, you know, that, that's a good thing. Team egg salad, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, man. I love your spirit. Have a great night. Uh, take, take care. You check out Marty Smith's America, of course, uh, podcast. Uh, always incredible. And by the way, his guest list, phenomenal. Uh, it's a must listen all the time. And don't forget to listen to Marty and McGee on ESPN Radio Saturday morning, 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Coverage of the Masters on ESPN starts tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern. You can also catch live streams of feature groups, Hole 5, 4, 5, and 6, Amen Corner, and Holes 15 and 16 during live play all four days on ESPN+. Plus. So the easy thing to do is just go out, sign up for an ESPN Plus trial, check it out. It's a great way to get integrated into the app and also see everything that it can offer. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available. Progressive has you covered more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Okay, I want you guys to chime in. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. I got a question for you guys about the Masters. The Masters comes so soon from when we just had it, during the thick of football season, and it feels like there's some sort of little magic missing. I just asked Marty, what's it going to take? I want you guys to tell me, casual fans, what would it take to get you into it? Are you feeling the Masters this year? Where are you on it? Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. Give me your sales pitch on the Masters. We'll get into that. Plus, uh, the, the one thing that I think the Masters could accomplish that would get everybody talking, we'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. We don't open the phone lines often here, but we will. You can also tweet me at Jason Fitz. I want to know how hyped you really are on the Masters. For me, the Masters happened in the fall. And look, everybody knows that I don't hide it. I'm not a golf aficionado. It's not a sport that I necessarily find myself gravitating to. A lot of my peers at ESPN will say, hey, you play golf? Uh, like twice, and one time I was uh, I was I was just smashed enough. I don't remember it, so it doesn't even count. So look, I, I realize that I'm not air quotes golf guy, uh, but I know a lot of you guys are. So I'm curious for somebody that's not super into the sport all the time, having the Masters back up on the Masters so quickly, it just sort of takes some of that thunder away from me. For me, it feels like there's less hype than I expect right now around the Masters. And on top of that, in November, it felt like it got a little lost at times. So you could tweet me, at Jason Fitz, where are you on the Masters? Are you super hype? Is it sort of the, the thing that gets you rolling? Like, why are you hyped about this particular uh, Masters? I want your thoughts on it because I do think that there's one outcome that could get everybody fired up. First, though, let's take a call. Grant in Minneapolis. Uh, Grant, thanks for calling the show, man. What's your Masters take? What you got? 
Hey, I'm right there with you on the Masters. I'm not too excited. Um, but what could get me excited is a story. And for that, I need Spieth or Rory to do well in the first couple of days. And I'll be watching Sunday. Thanks for the call, Grant. That's a really good call because you're a thousand percent right. What you just said, the story. And it, look, this is no different than what we do when we're talking about sports on Sports Talk Radio. We're trying to find the stories that really get everybody the most engaged. And for so many years, the story has been, well, you need Tiger and that's it. But as Marty Smith was just telling us as he came on to preview the Masters, there's so much young talent out there that, that is worth gravitating to. And that's why I'll give you another name, another name that, that should be in this conversation because of the story. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. Tell me what will get you hyped. In the meantime, Ian O'Connor from the New York Post was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night, and he gave everybody his idea of who the PGA needs to win for the great story. You want the big names to win, and a guy like DeChambeau playing the gorgeous George-like villain in golf, and Patrick Reed maybe to a lesser extent, I think golf needs characters like that. So I, DeChamp- I think DeChambeau is going to win this tournament. And I think if he does, that is a, definitely a good thing for golf because you want polarizing figures, interesting characters, a guy like uh, Bryson DeChambeau who's swinging for the fences and he's trying to push the boundaries of human achievement within the context of golf. That is a good thing. So, yes, a guy like him winning I think would be a welcome storyline. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and Jason Fitz flying solo. I think it's really interesting what he says about there, like pushing the edge of human limits. I mean, we all know that uh, Bryson is that guy that just hits the ball 80,000 miles. Like, that's that's a fact. No need to Google it. That's an exact, right? Uh, but we can look at that and say in that process, he's also so flippant about the way he does it. It comes so easy to him. And that's something we talked about a lot at the time uh, on uh, Go Look and Wingo when I was working with uh, Mike and Trey and Junior. And we would talk about how Bryson just sort of shows up and makes it look easy. He's that guy that everybody sort of loves and hates all at once. And because of that, He's an easy personality to gravitate to. Personality is going to be key through this. I mean, greatness is one thing. Greatness is important. But greatness without personality doesn't resonate the same way. It's not that different than the music business. You guys know my past there. And how often do you see incredible musicians, iconic generational musicians that can play better than anybody that are absolutely the guy that will go out there and they'll show you years and years of training and they'll give you all sorts of technique. I'll tell you a story. When uh, when I did my first show as a fiddle player, uh, true story here, I was a fiddle player with the band that I was in at the time. We were going to hire a fiddle player. I was doing all classical music, right? And we were going to hire a fiddle player. And I said, well, that's pretty ridiculous. So I went in and I said, I'm going to figure out the difference between playing classical music and fiddle and how to get into the improv world. So I spent some time, got ready for it. And I really, I I worked out these solos that were incredible. I mean, I had these just very difficult to play, incredible technique moments. And we went into our first show and I stood out there on the edge of the stage and I played stuff that was so difficult that if you were a musician, you sat there and your jaw dropped. And I was so proud of it. And the crowd sort of, you know, lightly clapped afterwards. It was one of those moments. They were like, oh, yeah, that was, that was, that was cute. The next night, playing in the same bar, right? I am, at that point in my life, a little too inebriated to play a show. No chance I can do that. So instead, I just dropped down on my knees, and I threw my bow around on my fiddle like Charlie Daniels, and I went like a madman. No technique to it. It was awful. One of the worst solos I've ever played in my life. Crowd went nuts. See, you can have technique all day long. You can be great all day long, but you got to have personality. And that's where golf right now has a lot of options to tune into. 
I mean, Bryson DeChambeau is the sort of guy that not only does he have personality, but he's very good. He needs to turn around and start winning. He's never finished inside the top 20 at Augusta. His best finish in the tournament was in, as an amateur in 2016, where he finished tied for 21st. So that's not good enough. For us to begin to sort of gravitate towards Bryson as a hero or a villain, he has to actually get great results. A hero that always gets his butt kicked or a villain that never puts up a good fight doesn't really get any resonance with the fan base. That's part of what I think the Masters absolutely needs. I mean, Dustin Johnson can go out and absolutely crush everybody. And that would be, uh, in and of itself, to have the opportunity to go out and repeat would be incredible. But does that resonate the same way? Is there the same sort of story that everybody goes to? Does he have the, as they say in TV, Q rating that's going to make everybody suddenly tune in because you want to see who Dustin Johnson is and what Dustin Johnson is doing? I think at times he does, but that's part of what needs to be shown more. There's not a huge difference in my mind uh, between some of the conversations we have about Major League Baseball and their inability to market their best stars and golf. Golf is already, for some people, a hard game to relate to. It's, it's the type of sport that many people will never really have the opportunity to play. If you're going to play a sport that isn't something that everybody can just pick up and play in their backyard, if you're going to be an epic athlete at something that doesn't have the ability to connect with people on the same level because they didn't play the sport, then you better have personality in droves. You better have the opportunity to bring everybody to you because they're rooting for you or they're rooting against you to be successful because they love you or they love to hate you. I mean, that's what we've seen in every major sport. The difference is most of us have played football in the streets and we've pretended to be Tom Brady. You know, not not me in my life. Tom, I was a Raider. Uh, most of us have sat in the driveway and heaved up a basketball and then screamed that you were fouled even though you're shooting against no one because you're suddenly reenacting some shot as Michael Jordan. Most of us have not stood at a tee box and been able to pretend that we're Tiger Woods. If we can't have that connection, then we need to have a connection with somebody based on what they're doing, but also based on the way they do it. Tiger Woods' personality was every bit as important as Tiger Woods' greatness. Golf has all sorts of personality, but until some of these young personalities step up and show us that they can absolutely win at the highest level, maybe not Tiger level, but they can begin to dominate the field that is around them, I'm not sure we get the story we need to bring everybody and gravitate everybody to watching, especially on a Masters that is so close to the Masters we just watched. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're just getting rolling. You know it. The draft is only a few weeks away. Now, there's been a lot of conversation about quarterbacks. We'll do a little of that. But there are other great prospects in this draft that will change your team right away. I'm going to bring on an expert. He'll tell you about some of them. And we'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Justin Fields. These are all names you've become so familiar with over the course of draft prep as we get ready for the 2021 NFL draft. But what if I told you you're missing out on a lot of other talent if you're only focusing on the quarterbacks? And that talent could change your team right away. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz, flying solo don't forget subscribe to the spain and fitz podcast sometimes you get some extra fun exclusive content out there get that wherever you get your podcast i'll tweet out a link after the show tonight in case you missed any of the show we're presented by progressive insurance and we're going to head straight to the goodyear hotline for one of my favorite guests 
He's not only an ESPN NFL front office insider, but he's one of the best draft gurus I know. Field Yates joining us. I should tell everybody, by the way, before we get to Field, if you're a draft fan, don't worry. There's some big announcements coming. ESPN Radio is going to have you covered with three days of incredible draft coverage, as is the digital world, plus ESPN and ABC. So you'll have all sorts of ways to watch the NFL draft within the ESPN family. Field, thanks so much for the time, man. I appreciate you joining us. And I continue to look at the draft conversation, specifically in how focused we are at quarterbacks. And I'm wondering your thoughts on where we are when you start talking about the fourth pick, Atlanta. Everybody continues to talk about how that's a pivotal spot in the draft. If you had the choice between the fourth best quarterback in this draft or any of the other epic talent that is at the top of this draft at other positions, where would you go? Yeah, so Fitz, first of all, love being on with you, buddy. Can't wait to talk draft for the next three weeks and one more day. Um, what I would say is this, is that when we are on in, in our role, uh, which is to analyze prospects collectively and also to analyze them relative to all teams, then what happens is we assign these quarterbacks into a tier what I think is important to remember is that the Falcons, who we are talking about in this case at pick four, like just because you and I might view Trey Lance or Justin Fields, who we both believe will be available at pick four, as very much worthy of a top five pick, if the Falcons aren't in love and enamored with either of those quarterbacks, then I don't think there is good business to be had enforcing the issue. I would much rather trade down or take Kyle Pitts in that scenario. I personally think both merit top five pick consideration, and I think there's at least a good chance that the Falcons do. And if the Falcons do, then I think it is absolutely unequivocally the way to go to a quarterback over a tight end. And it's not because I don't believe in Kyle Pitts. I think Kyle Pitts could look like you know Travis Kelsey, Uh, sooner rather than later with all the physical skills that he has. It's just the idea that if you don't take a quarterback now, who's to say you're going to be in a position to grab a quarterback comparable to Justin Fields or Trey Lance anytime soon? And while Matt Ryan is a solid starting quarterback, I don't believe he's one of the top seven to eight indispensable quarterbacks we have in the NFL. So stick with Kyle Pitts for a second. When I was hosting College Football Live last fall, I had multiple analysts describe him as uncoverable. Now, fans are used to seeing their team pick a tight end, especially that high, and just screaming. You don't pick a tight end that high, but Pitts seems like he's different. So would you have hesitation because of the position picking him that high in the draft? Yeah, and I think one thing we have to do, Fitz, is maybe do away with some of the previous norms that existed. There was a time, I remember my scouting days, there was a time where they said, don't take a safety so high or don't take a guard so high. And, you know, I think the guard position is probably one where we're going to see infrequent high picks. But if you think the guy is going to be an instant Pro Bowl or all-pro player, just ask the Colts whether it was worth taking Quinton Nelson sixth overall back in 2018. So I understand that tight ends don't, you know, the, look, just look at the money, right? The highest paid tight end in league history is $15 million per season. The highest paid left tackle is now at $22 million per season. Highest paid wide receiver also at $22 million per season. So you would think, or that sort of suggests that the NFL uh, values an elite player at left tackle or wide receiver more than it does I tie it in, but I do think there's something to be said for breaking the mold and the mismatch that Kyle Pitts can create 
all those analysts who described them as uncoverable were appropriate in their description fits. I think about some of the great, great players are in this draft, including, for example, J.C. Horn, the cornerback from South Carolina. Ask him about covering Kyle Pitts because there were a couple <laughs> instances when they played this year, Fitz, where Horn was all over him. And Kyle Pitts, just being as unique as he is, was able to still make a play. We're talking to Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, also co-host of the Fantasy Fo- Focus football podcast, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz riding solo tonight. So, Field, I'm also trying to figure out, and you have so much scouting experience, when you think about opt-outs, like I, I keep using one example is Gregory Rousseau. That's an edge rusher out of Miami for anyone that doesn't know. And a couple of years ago, he was spectacular, but he didn't play football last year. There's several instances like that. So if you're in a front office and you have a, a kid that didn't play football last year, you can't have your normal pro days. You don't get your normal opportunity to poke and prod and talk to, to prospects. How does that impact your willingness to take them in the first round particularly? Yeah, it's interesting because I will see, I think one of the themes will be how much opt-outs impact this draft on the whole versus how much they impact some of the guys at the very top of the draft, some of the guys that you're mentioning, right? So Greg Rousseau, who um, I just got to say that I spent the week down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl and Rousseau, who was not playing in the game, wasn't even eligible, showed up and he and his uh, agent Drew Rosenhouse very wisely were there to show face, right? And to, see some NFL executives and you just look at him and he is otherworldly in terms of his physical skill set. That being said, the opt-outs, I think it's not going to matter that much for some of the very, very best players, right? Jamar Chase is going to be just fine. Panay Sewell is going to be just fine. Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle will be just fine. I think Rousseau is going to be just fine too, Fitz. Um, I think it's going to be maybe some players that were a little bit further down the board uh, guys who are maybe more fringe level, and, and I say fringe, not to be drafted, but maybe to be like day one picks who may have just slid down the board inadvertently, right? It's not their fault, and you really can't begrudge a player for putting his health and safety ahead of his final college season of football. We understand this was the most unique year we've ever seen, um, but I do think players who did not play this year that were maybe outside of the top 75 prospects are going to be pushed down the board a little bit. So with that being said, Field, if teams are more hesitant because of the the strangeness, let's say, that of the process, does that make them more likely to want to try and trade down in general in your mind? It's a good question. I think that the trade-down market is going to be – you know, say this, Fitz. I think the trade market is going to be active, period, right? Because we've already seen a few – Obviously, we've seen the 49ers trade. We've seen the Dolphins trade back up with the Eagles. And, you know, obviously we've seen the Sam Darnold trade, which didn't involve picks in the first round, but it did involve, you know, a team that now no longer is going to be, I would think at least, in the quarterback market. So do I think there's a – I think just in general, like I've got my eyes on a few teams who are, uh, I think, trade-down candidates. Uh, You know, I do think – I'll just list them in, in order. I think Atlanta, I think. I don't think Cincinnati. I don't think Miami at pick six. I think Detroit at pick seven. I think Carolina at pick eight. And I think Denver at pick nine as well if they are not interested in a quarterback. And we can have a full hour debate about whether they should or should not be. Then I do think there's a chance that uh, that would be a team that would say to itself, you know something? If we're, in, if we're not in on a quarterback, let's be the last opportunity for somebody to trade up to get one of these quarterbacks because we could recruit some major, major value. 
That's going to be one of the most curious things to me, Field, is, is how desperate teams get to overpay to try and move up in this quarterback-heavy draft. It's uh, Field Yates. You can check him out, obviously, across all of our platforms, doing great work. Field, as always, we appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for coming on. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon, Fitz. Be safe. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. I will quickly remind everybody, when you're watching the draft, the number of times you're going to hear us, everybody, pundits, sitting there saying, oh, should have traded down and could have still gotten that player. I would just remind everybody that's a failed logic, only in the sense that we don't know what the trade-down market is going to be in this year's draft. I think more teams are going to be looking to trade down than we're used to. That's going to make it tougher than ever. So we're going to see more reaches, more people saying, why not trade down and try and take him later? Well, you have to have a partner to be able to execute a trade. Don't ever forget that when you're watching the draft. All right, coming up next, a strange move in college basketball that is reminding all of us what's really important to the sport. I'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We know what matters in college sports. We understand that winning is everything to many programs. But that doesn't mean that we can't call them out when they throw it in our faces. And that's exactly what happened today. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear hotline. We'll get back into the NFL draft uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, But in the meantime, there was some big news today in the college basketball world. And uh, I think it's important for a little context here. Sean Miller, the head coach uh, at Arizona, the third winningest head coach at Arizona, the three-time Pac-12 coach of the year at Arizona, was let go today. Now, firing a coach is not something that's shocking, but firing Sean Miller right now is at least cause to raise an eyebrow. Let's remember that Sean Miller was directly involved in the case that took over the news a few years ago, the federal investigation, which involved Book Richardson. That's a former Arizona assistant coach who pled guilty to federal bribery charges in 2019. And Arizona received its notice of allegations in March that included five level one violations. They haven't been notified of any punishments for this. Uh, but uh, they they know that it's coming. Everybody knows it's coming, and they're one of several schools that were involved in this. And it raises a real question of why they didn't do anything at the time. Now, let's remember, Book Richardson, was when he was arrested, he was caught on a wiretap telling an ex-agent that Miller, quote, bought five-star prospect DeAndre Ayton. So that's part of where all of this comes from. Even if you think he was lying, there was no denying that several br- rules had been broken Uh, by multiple assistants under Miller. So action is coming for Miller and action is coming for Arizona. But Arizona, the school, chose to take no action, even though they've known this is coming for several years, until, what do you know, their team isn't as good. I mean, let's be real. Arizona's coming off of a 17-9 and season where they had a self-imposed ban. Pretty uh, convenient time to have that. But uh, over the last few years, they just haven't been who they were. I mean, uh, they went through that stretch where they were 25-9, and 32-5, and 27-8. I mean, they were all over the NCAA tournament and a nationally prominent program. But ever since these allegations broke, things have fallen off. Part of why? Recruiting has been bad. Arizona's top-ranked recruit so far, committed, is the 69th-ranked on ESPN's Top 100. That's the only recruit in the Top 100. That is a far cry from where they were with Sean Miller. And when you start thinking about what it means, it's easy to look at it and say, well, now that Sean doesn't have a bag of cash to hand over because everybody's watching him, suddenly you got to do something. But let's not pretend that this has anything to do with the rules that were broken. 
This is Arizona saying, hey, our team's not as good anymore. And now that we're under the magnifying glass, everybody's looking at it and our team's not as good anymore. We might as well make a change. I mean, they came out and said, well, it just felt like it was time for a fresh start. Sure. Sure, let's go with that. But let's also acknowledge in the same breath that Kansas was part of this same allegation. What did Bill Self just get? We know that Kansas also was notified in March uh, that punishment is coming. But Bill Self was just given a lifetime contract. A lifetime contract that not only gave him a contract for life, but also says in it specifically he can't be punished for anything that's been found by the NCAA. So he doubled down because he's still winning basketball games and got himself a lifetime contract because they thought he might go somewhere else to work. And as a result of that lifetime contract, he gets full protection and immunity against anything that he might have already done that the NCAA chooses to punish for. Heck of an agent. I mean, we know there's a big difference right now in Bill Self's agent, right, and everybody else's. I always use this phrase, but Bill Self's agent is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. But it also has to do with the, the situation Kansas was in. Kansas is looking at it saying, okay, the North Carolina job's open. We don't want Bill Self to go anywhere. We're going to make sure that we give him a lifetime uh, contract so that he stays put right here and we remain relevant because relevant is everything in college basketball, and college basketball is defined by the coaches especially in a one-and-done season, in a one-and-done society, especially the way it's become a revolving door. Remember, I grew up in UNLV land, right, in, in Las Vegas as a kid during the running Rebel days. Now, certainly, I mean, I can't uh, sit here and, and throw all sorts of shade at Sean Miller and everybody here without acknowledging that the UNLV programs I watched were found guilty of, it seems like, just about everything. But realistically, in that era, players were there for long enough that players really defined so much of what we think about. Yes, the UNLV team I grew up on, partially defined by Jerry Tarkanian, of course, but also defined by Larry Johnson and Stacey Augman. You know, those were sort of the moments in college basketball now where the great players are typically only there for one season. It becomes less about the players and more about the coach. That's what defines your program moving forward. Kansas looked at it and said, I don't care what punishment we get if we don't have Bill Self and we're going through punishment, it's going to be even tougher to find somebody else that will continue to be the identity of our organization. Now, Arizona, on the other hand, looked around and said, I felt that way when we were winning games, but now if we're not winning games and we're not recruiting at a high enough level, there's no reason to think that we will continue to win games. That's what this is all about. Now, it's okay. I mean, again, we're not stupid. We know that college sports at this point have become about bags of cash that are being handed uh, from player to coach and from recruit to to assistant coach, and nobody wants to really call anybody out. We just want to have our college sports, and we don't want to have to think about it. I get it. I get it. And I get it if you don't care about any of that. But at some point, you at least have to look at a university and say, hey, I know what you're doing. You ever have that friend in your life that you know is like cheating the system or a friend in your wife that, uh, life that you know is just out there like not doing the right thing? And you're, you're sitting there and you're like, hey, man, I see it. I know what you're doing. That's all I'm asking for in this situation when it comes to Arizona. This isn't about Sean Miller and the investigation, although it should be. In fact, they're not even really acknowledging what their plans are or how they're going to get through whatever punishment they are levied from the NCAA. Instead, they're just continuing to say, we just felt like it was the right time to move on. And that's what everybody's doing. Like this investigation in 2019 ruled the college basketball conversation. And we all looked at it and said, this is going to rock. It is going to rock everything that we've known about the sport. But the problem is these things take so much time. 
It takes so much time that the notice of allegations for something done in 2019 are just going out. And now, do people really care about LSU, Kansas, NC State, Memphis, and Louisville, among others, with Arizona, all getting their you know notice? No. That's old news. What everybody cares about is the opportunity to go in and win games. And that's fine. The one thing you got to know as a coach, though, is if you're going to cheat the system, if you think you can outsmart everybody, if you think that the way you're going to win is by paying players to come play for your school, that's cool until you get busted. And when you get busted, you might be able to keep your job. But there will be far less patience to keeping your job the minute you start losing games because that's everything for Arizona. There's no reason to think that Sean Miller won't have another opportunity. We see it all the time in college sports. These coaches will get another opportunity. The question is, will the next school that decides to give Sean Miller a chance at least acknowledge for once that they know who they're hiring, they know the problems that, they're, that are there, and they're going to be active from day one about making sure it doesn't happen again, or just be real with us on the other side. I frankly don't even care if a school wants to come out and say, yeah, we know what Sean Miller did. We know what he's probably going to do here. We just want to try and make it to the NCAA tournament. That level of honesty would be refreshing for once from college athletics. That's all I'm asking for along this process, is to just be real about what's really happening in front of our eyes. In the meantime, Arizona now late joins the coaching hunt, and we'll see what that means for them moving forward. We're going to move forward with some draft talk again. We keep talking about the quarterbacks, but there are prospects out here that will change your team this year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We'll break some of those down next for you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always, hanging out with you on the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. We're going to be talking more and more draft over the course of the next few weeks because, as you guys know, I say this every year, my favorite event of the entire sports calendar, I think it's the Super Bowl for 31 out of 32 teams, and the excitement around the draft is that of energy. It's about change. It's about positivity. It's about feeling like this is the moment, win or lose, you're going to come out of these three days and suddenly you're going to feel drastically better or worse about your team. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight, and I wanted to do something a little different tonight because we get you a lot of different expertise. But over the course of the next few weeks, remember, you can listen to all three days of the NFL Draft on ESPN Radio. We'll have it all covered for you from the first pick to the very last pick. I can't uh, reveal any secrets yet, but I can tell you there are some huge names involved. You'll find out soon. And if you like my voice, you might hear some of it during some of it. I'm just saying. Uh, Also, digitally, there'll be three days of shows as well. So I'm going to be all over the place during the course of the draft coverage. And one of the sites and one of the places that I use to really help me prep is the Draft Network. So I wanted to bring on our next guest. Uh, Trevor Sycamore joins us. He's the senior writer for the Draft Network. It's a great resource. I'm just honest with you guys uh, about the places I go to look things up and try and make sure that I'm as educated as possible. So you should absolutely check it out. Trevor, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate you joining us. And, And specifically, so much of the conversation has been about quarterbacks. And I'm trying to broaden that conversation now and get out of just having the same old, same old. So I want to ask you about the other side of the ball because there are a lot of teams and fans right now that are picking between 10 and 32 in the first round of the draft that have no idea what their team's going to do because I have a hard time figuring out what the defensive side of the ball looks like with opt-outs and uh, who these players are going to be. So when you talk about guys that you think will be in the middle of the first round that everybody should know their name because they are epic game-changing type players, who stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a big question, Jason. We, we talk about this defensive class because I actually did 
an article over at the Draft Network this week that talks about, hey, will this be the draft where we see the least amount of defensive players taken in the first round over the last 20 years? And it's happened twice where we've seen the number 13. That was in 2009 and 2006. And so it's been a while since we've gotten that low of a number, but just last year, it was 14. And so we're seeing, okay, it might be a little bit of a trend here, and it seems to be a down year with defensive players. But that also makes you think that if you need one, Teams might be aggressive to go up and get one. Pass rusher is the one that everybody likes to talk about, right? Because we see pass rushers all the time. Edge rushers specifically go number one overall, like Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney. You see people go in the top five, Chase Young, the Bosa brothers. You know, this is a premium position. And this year, I think there's a really good one to get in Jalen Phillips in Miami, but he's got those concussion concerns. And, man, he he, he had to retire from the game of football. You know, that's why he left. UCLA and ended up going to Miami is because he thought he was done with football because he had a couple of concussions over there. But man, when you talk, when you throw on the tape and you go, okay, this guy's playing football now, clearly he's the best edge rusher. I mean, he's got the size at six foot five, 260 pounds to be able to put his hand in the dirt, set the run on the early downs, but also get after the quarterback from a variety of different spots. He rush it from a three point stance, a two point stance. He's for multiple defenses. I mean, this is a guy to go get, but of course the injury throws all that up in the air. And then you got guys like, Quiddy Pay, he's more of a dense, probably five-tech defensive tackle. Gives you some athletic upside, of course, but there's a little bit of a pass rush projection there for him. Jason Owe, you love the athleticism. He's from Penn State, had zero sacks last year. And sacks aren't the be-all, end-all for pass rushers. But, of course, you know, you got to take into effect that he didn't get any sacks. And then Aziz Ojolari is a little bit smaller. He's probably more of an outside linebacker type. And these are all the names to know, I think. But there's no telling where they're going to go in this draft. We've just seen this position be prioritized so much more over the last couple of years. And you talk about the middle of the draft, end of the draft. These are the names that I think everybody should get to know. But, shoot, I don't know when they're going to come off the board. And it might not be until the 20s. We're talking to Draft Network senior writer Trevor Sycamore on Spain and Fitz, uh, Jason Fitz flying solo. And it's so interesting to me because I feel like when you look at the pass rushers, like, you're right, we become sack uh, sort of infatuated, right? Uh, but it feels like this year's class has a lot more all-around. Like, if you were playing Madden, it would be an all-around defensive end, not necessarily just an edge, like, not just a sack guy, not just a run stopper, just sort of all-around player. So how does that impact their draft status? Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to depend on situations. And that's what makes it tough from the outside looking in. I'll tell you that maybe there won't be a big difference on draft night because these teams, as you know, it's not like they're watching these players thinking, okay, how will they do in a 3-4 system versus a 4-3? How would they be as an outside linebacker pass rusher versus a defensive end? No, the only thing that teams care about is what their current scheme is, their current coaching staff. And so they say, hey, does this guy's skill set fit what we are looking for at edge rusher? And it's it's harder for us to predict here on the media side because we have to look at it from much more of a wider scope. We have to analyze it through the lens that it, that is much wider almost for all 32 NFL teams. And we have to say, like, okay, this guy's got versatility in this area, but he's clearly a little bit stronger when you put him in this scheme. So for us to predict where the edge rushers are going to go, it's a little bit tougher. But perhaps when draft night comes and goes, maybe the edge rusher group will go off the board where we think. You know, some guys go in the top 12, top 15, top 20 even, and it kind of looks normal because for specific teams, they say, yeah, of course this guy was high on our board. And we're over here thinking, okay, well, yeah, they were high on their board, but we were predicting that it wasn't going to be for somebody else. And so I think it all just comes down to specialization per team. You know, you talked about guys being a little bit more all around, but at the top, I would tell you that 
there's a lot more potential than proven talent right now. And I think any time that that's the case, you get a little bit of jeopardy in there. We're talking to Trevor Sycamore. You can check him out on the Draft Network, senior writer there, Spain and Fitz. Uh, so talk to me about the linebackers. A lot of linebackers being mocked going in the middle of the first round. Is, is there one linebacker you think is, is maybe getting a little under uh, undersold right now? Oh, yeah, I, I'll tell you, Ohio State's Baron Browning is awesome. And we have been pretty dang high on our prospect rankings over at the Draft Network. And I was sitting down with the scouting staff, actually, when they were watching Baron Browning. And you could just see him progress throughout the season. This is a guy who is kind of a little bit of a former safety hybrid. He's got a lot of athleticism to him. He's still learning that linebacker position. He was really green going into this year. You can still see some inexperience in his game, but as the season went on, it just seemed like he was able to recognize things better, play a lot faster, make more impacts. And so that's the kind of guy that you look at him and say, all right, no, we like what he does going downhill, but it can also give you that coverage potential because that's what it's all about in the first round with linebackers. There's plenty of linebackers to go around. You know, there's different types. There's Mike's, there's Sam's, there's Will linebackers, and they all have their different specialties. But the ones that get drafted in the first round in the top 50 – They've got to give you the coverage profile. You've got to be able to keep those guys in the game when you go to sub-package situations. When you just have two linebackers on the field and you trust that they could cover the ground, they could read the quarterback, they can feel out zones, have chemistry with the rest of the defense. And I feel like Baron Browning from Ohio State is a player that not a lot of people are talking about with his kind of potential there. Another player I'll just throw out, Cameron McGrone. I like him. He, he's not going in the first round. But, man, this is a Mike middle linebacker type who shows a lot of good potential. He's got great athleticism, great size. He's still learning how to recognize things and anticipate a little bit better. But you can see when he's got that confidence, he's playing in the middle of that Michigan Wolverines defense. He's calling things out. I think he's got a true calling for playing in the middle at that middle linebacker spot. So those are two guys. One of them could get drafted top 50 in Baron Brown, and the other one probably just more of a day two guy in Cameron McGrone. All right, we're talking to Trevor Sycamore from the Draft Network. Real quick, Trevor, now that we've done all this great deep dive stuff that I absolutely love, we will do one quarterback. Everybody keeps talking about the, the top four, but, but get me outside of that. Like later in the first round, is there a quarterback you think that teams are going to start looking? Like we see every year somebody that's in the second round wants to move up to try and get that extra year contract. Is there a fifth or sixth quarterback you think is going to end up coming into the first round conversation? I don't. I know it's an answer that's bad for ratings, and you're looking for me to say a name to give the spice. No, that's good. I'll take it. I'll take it. I want people to know if it's a reach. I think that this year's class is five quarterbacks deep, basically. And I think that that makes it actually really exciting going up to the top because it's not like a situation where we had, say, last year with a Jacob Eason, where it's like, okay, well, if I don't get this guy, we can get a guy in the second round. I really think that when you look at this class, yes, there's some guys later in the draft that you might like that might fit a coach's mold, say a Kellen Mond. He'll give you the mobility. He'll give you the big arm. Kyle Trask, he'll give you that accuracy, those touch passes. Jamie Newman, he can run an RPO offense, right? I mean, there's strengths and weaknesses with some of these quarterbacks you can get later in the draft. I don't know if any of them are starting material. I don't know, especially in the first couple of years, it would take a lot of development. And I think that when you look at those top five guys, Mac Jones included, of course, bringing into the conversation with the other four, I really do think that those are the guys to go get. And it's going to truly be, I think, a free-for-all because if a team does not get one of those top five guys, they might be punting on quarterback this year. And there are a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, so I think that could make for a big shakeup in the first round for a lot of teams to try to go up and get just one of those five. Well, he does great work. Follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. That's T R E, Tampa Bay Trey. Also, check out the Draft Network. They do great work out there, also. I'm in for all the chaos, Trevor. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for the insight. Keep doing the great work, my friend. Of course, Jason. Anytime, man. You're listening to Spain.
Brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Trevor just mentioned Kellen Mond. I think Kellen Mond is going to be one of those names that we're going to hear in the third round or somewhere in that range. The teams are suddenly going to say, wow, that was a good pick. He's going to have time to develop. You'll see analysts going nuts for Kellen Mond. I don't know if we're right yet, but analysts will go nuts for him. All right. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, one quarterback is in the news, Deshaun Watson, but we haven't heard anything from the NFL. I'll tell you why that's a mistake. Next, Spain and Fitz on the ESPN radio. On the, yeah, that's good. On ESPN radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Silence. That's all we've had from the NFL. And while the Deshaun Watson situation is difficult to discuss, at some point, everybody involved is going to have to say something. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can do that wherever you get your podcast. It's a great listen, and we get you some exclusive content on there. If you missed any of today's show, it's a great way to go get caught up or any of the action from, out the, from throughout the course of the week. In the meantime, I want to be careful every time we talk about Deshaun Watson, and this is I'm going to do this so much that you guys will be able to recite it by the time we actually get all of the information in this situation. I am not here to have any conversation yet about the Deshaun Watson sexual allegations, uh, assault allegations from the side of the victims or from the side of the accused. I am doing what Sarah has wisely said, and I'm giving everybody the benefit of the doubt until we know how this situation plays out. So this is not a conversation about the allegations. It's not a conversation about what Deshaun did or didn't do. And it's not a conversation about Deshaun Watson, the human being. It's not even a conversation right now about the football side of all of this. It's a conversation about the conversation. I know that sounds confusing, but this is what we had today. Sponsors have started lining up and ending their relationships with Deshaun Watson. Not one, not two, four. Four sponsors is significant for anybody to lose over the course of this. Now, he's lost them in different ways, and it's important to note the difference. Uh, He had one sponsor that a contract ended in 2020. They're just not going to renew it. He had another sponsor that the contract is about to end. They're not going to renew it. Uh, he has one sponsor uh, in in Beats. Uh, we all know Beats that it looks like that they're going to uh, they're going to stop doing business with him. So uh, those are all different. Nike is a big deal, and Nike is a big deal partially because of the wording, according to Sarah Barshop, ESPN uh, Texans reporter on ESPN.com. It's great, uh, great read. You should go out and get it. it. Says Nike has suspended its endorsement deal with Deshaun Watson. Sources told ESPN that Beats by Dre is ending its sponsorship of Watson. Now ending its sponsorship is a statement, but so is suspending. And suspending is an important note here because that's an option that the NFL has that doesn't actually hurt anybody in the process. The exempt list exists for these sorts of things. The NFL created an exempt list where, hey, weird things are going on. We don't know exactly how to handle it. We're investigating some things. We're going to put you on the exempt list. As a result, you don't get to go be a part of the Texans right now, uh, but you'll still get paid. And while we work everything out, it's the best solution. It's essentially sending somebody home and saying, we're not docking your pay. You're on paid leave. And Deshaun Watson can continue to work out. He can continue to, to study film. He can continue to get ready however he gets ready in the offseason. And there's really no consequence to the Houston Texans in that process as well because they're not losing out on the opportunity from com- for camaraderie building. They're not losing out on OTAs or training camp. They're not losing out on anything right now. But the NFL has chosen not to do that. In fact, the NFL so far has chosen not to do anything. Now, that isn't necessarily surprising because the NFL is always very slow 
to say anything. And when they do say anything, it's done swiftly, usually Friday at 5 p.m. when no one's paying attention and can't react to it. They do their things that they're going to do swiftly and without much explanation and, frankly, without a lot of consequence. All the NFL has done is issue a a a generic statement. This is a statement that they issued to Pro Football Talk. Quote, the allegations are deeply disturbing and we take these issues very seriously. Immediately following the news of the first allegations last month and has been reported, we initiated an investigation under the NFL's personal conduct policy. Now, that is a, a good statement, but that's the only thing we've heard from the NFL. We've heard nothing else. And we have to remember that the NFL, with their investigation, has power to do something. One of the things we talked about so much is Roger Goodell, and this is the phrase, the judge, jury, and executioner. We thought going into the last collective bargaining agreement that that might be changed, that the players might fight for more ability to appeal Roger Goodell's decisions and instead have someone else come in and hear them so that they can get more eyes on things. Well, that's not the way it works. Now, there are arbitrators and third parties that come in and help with the initial uh, response, but after that, everything is up to Roger Goodell. So while we're hearing nothing, Roger Goodell is certainly forming opinions. The problem is, as he forms opinions and doesn't speak, we're left to speak for him. This is what happens. Anytime somebody comes in and says nothing, we essentially try and figure out what that means. Now, that's dangerous. And realistically, it's difficult to do. It's difficult to figure out where the NFL is in their investigation. Heck, it's difficult to figure out how the NFL is conducting their investigation because they give us so little information. But realistically... The NFL is going to have to answer some tough questions. And isn't it easier now to put Deshaun Watson on the exempt list than it would be, let's say, when this hasn't resolved itself going into training camp? There is a real chance. This is not a a flippant issue. There is a real chance that between the civil and criminal uh, actions that are, are at least forming at this point, there is a real chance that this is lording over everybody going into training camp. And then the NFL is going to have to make tough decisions. And then they're going to have to answer questions about why they waited till then to make those tough decisions. I'm not the only one that has noticed their silence. Stephen A. Smith talked about it on First Take. The NFL has been conspicuously quiet in all of this. And even though you're innocent until proven guilty, that has never stopped the NFL from acting before. If you sully or impugn the shield, that gives them cause to step in and say, okay, you might get your money but we're going to put you on the commissioner's exempt list. There are two scenarios here that need to be thought about. Number one, if you're the Texans, you've been conspicuously quiet in all of this, number one. Number two, not only have you been conspicuously quiet, but this also works to your advantage because what team can legitimately go out there and trade for Deshaun Watson at the time that this is all going down? The answer would be pretty much nobody. The flip side is is that if Deshaun Watson is put on a commissioner's exempt list, where that works to his advantage is he doesn't want to play for the Texans anymore, according to him, but you still want it to get paid. So you could be put on a commissioner's exempt list, still get paid, don't have to play for the Texans, while at the same time buying yourself additional time to prioritize getting these matters resolved. I mean, the way Stephen A. just described it, to his credit, is sort of a win-win for everybody involved in this while we're going through the investigation. Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz flying solo. You know, and, and it's tough to say when right now. It's tough to have these conversations because what I don't want to do 
is make football or the NFL more important than the investigation that's ongoing. It is absolutely not. If you've ever listened to this show, you understand how seriously Sarah and I both treat all of these sorts of instances and how much care we put into how it's covered. All I'm asking for at some level is for the NFL to tell us what their plan is, what they're actually doing, because all eyes are on this. This is not a small player, and this is not a small accusation. You're talking about 22 women accusing one of the biggest stars in the NFL of something that is horrific. The NFL can sit silently so often because uh, more often than not, the shield and the logos on the helmets matter more than the players that are involved. The NFL can sort of sweep anything under the rug under the guise of we are NFL fans and we will flock to anything. But Deshaun Watson is not your average player. And 22 accusations is not your average accusation. This has to be handled with tremendous care. It has to be handled with tremendous foresight, and it has to be handled with tremendous transparency. That's what the world is going to continue to demand, whether the NFL likes it or not. And as more sponsors speak out and we hear nothing from the NFL, it will only become more glaringly apparent that they continue to remain silent. Freddie and Fitzsimmons will not be, Fitzsimmons will not be silent. They're going to keep rocking it all night on ESPN Radio. As always, I appreciate you hanging out with me. I've been Jason Fitz, and this has been Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio.